Welcome to the Pearl of Great Price podcast. Thanks for joining us today. It's the 15th of April and on this day in Christian history, we're going to be looking at the theme of reconciliation. When we travel to South Africa in the year 1996, where today the national broadcaster started the television coverage of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. As the Rainbow Nation entered its post-apartheid era. The Truth and Reconciliation process had been founded by President Nelson Mandela, who himself had been imprisoned for 27 years for his violent opposition to the racist policies of apartheid. Mandela, a committed Methodist with a discreet faith, had emerged from prison as an international statesman with a profound magnanimity in light of the injustices that he had suffered. Subsequently, he was elected and served as president for five years, successfully overseeing the transition to full and free democracy in South Africa. Anglican Archbishop Desmond Tutu was appointed the Chairman of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission and it held over 1,000 court-like hearings in a mass exercise of restorative justice. The mandate of the Commission was to bear witness to, record and in some cases grant amnesty to the perpetrators of crimes relating to human rights violations, as well as offering reparation and rehabilitation to the victims. A register of reconciliation was also established, so that ordinary South Africans who wished to express regret for past failures could also express their remorse. The emphasis on reconciliation was in sharp contrast to similar nationwide attempts to deliver restorative justice, such as the approach taken by the Nuremberg Trials and other denazification measures in post-war Germany. The reconciliatory approach was seen as a successful way of dealing with human rights violations after political change. Originally the hearings were set to be heard in private, but the intervention of 23 NGOs succeeded in gaining media access to the hearings. And so, on the 15th of April 1996, the South African National Broadcaster televised the first two hours of the first Human Rights Violation Committee hearing live. With funding from the Norwegian government, radio continued to broadcast live throughout. Additional high-profile hearings such as Winnie Mandela's testimony were also televised live. And the rest of the hearings were presented on television each Sunday from April 1996 to June 1998, 
in hour-long episodes of the Truth Commission Special Report. Critics of the Commission argued that the concepts of truth and the atoning tendencies of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission downplayed justice. The Kairos document that had been published 10 years previously was a theological statement that was issued under the state of emergency declared on the 21st of July 1985. Previous to the commission it was written by a group of mainly black South African theologians based predominantly in the township of Soweto. And written over five chapters, it argued that while true, rec- true reconciliation and peace were at the core of the Christian tradition, true reconciliation was not possible without justice. Calls for reconciliation without justice were calls for counterfeit reconciliation. Emerging from different strands of liberation theology, they promoted the truth and justice and life at all costs, even at the cost of creating conflict, disunity and dissension along the way. And this was reminiscent of Dietrich Bonhoeffer's criticism of cheap grace during the Nazi regime. See the podcast of April the 8th for more about this. Variations of this criticism of counterfeit reconciliation were levelled at the Commission ten years later. Archbishop Desmond Tutu later published a book-long reflection on the process called No Future Without Forgiveness, where he explored the connection between truth-telling and social justice. The public storytelling for those who had been cruelly silenced for so long was essential, he argued. The public remembering the cruelties of the past was painful but well managed. And it restored an individual's human dignity and it brought some healing for the nation. In his reflection, Tutu argued that true reconciliation cannot be achieved by denying the past and trying to move beyond platitudes about forgiveness. He offered a deeper spirituality that recognised the horror that people can inflict upon one another, yet retained a sense of idealism about reconciliation. The policy of apartheid separateness had been justified by Afrikaner church leaders by misusing a Calvinistic theology of predestination and white supremacy. President de Klerk, a committed Calvinist, had released Mandela and later became his vice president in a government of national unity. In 1993, 
Both de Klerk and Mandela were awarded the Nobel Peace Prize for their joint work on reconciliation. In his swearing-in as vice-president, de Klerk was unhappy that the ceremony had become multi-religious. This offended his staunch Calvinism. And when he was being sworn in, and the Chief Justice said, So help me God, de Klerk did not repeat this, instead stating in Afrikaan, So help me the triune God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. His staunch Calvinism became a source of scandal when his wife of 38 years, Marieke de Klerk, divorced him following the discovery of his affair with the wife of a Greek shipping tycoon. Tragically, Marieke was murdered a couple of years later and found stabbed and strangled to death in her Cape Town flat. The atrocity was reportedly condemned strongly by South African President Thabo Mbeki and Winnie Mandela, among others, who openly spoke in favour of Marika de Klerk. And a 20-year-old black security guard received two life sentences for murder. The manuscript of her autobiography a place where the sun shines again, had been submitted to her estranged husband, the clerk, who had urged the publishers to suppress a chapter dealing with his infidelity. The restorative storytelling seemed to have limits. However, his role as a statesman is not disputed. Working with Mandela, he accomplished the rare feat of bringing about systemic revolution through peaceful means. It was a significant achievement to dismantle more than three centuries of white supremacy. And it also took a deft politician to sell this to a frightened white minority, often framing this as a white conversion rather than white surrender. The hardline Conservative Party came to regard him as its most hated adversary. However, history will always portray de Klerk as being in the shadow of Nelson Mandela. Mandela was always quick to acknowledge the importance of his Methodist faith, but was keen not to overstate it or wear it as a badge of respectability. I am just an ordinary person trying to make sense of the mysteries of life, he said. However, he was keen for it to be known that he was a Christian, and he owed his education almost entirely to the Methodist Church. In his long years of imprisonment on Robben Island, he received Holy Communion regularly from visiting Methodist ministers. As the British historian Tom Holland remarked, Christianity had provided the colonised and traumatised 
with their surest voice. A month before his election as president, Mandela had travelled to the holy city of Marai in the Transvaal to celebrate Easter, saying, Easter is a festival of human solidarity. A risen Messiah who chose not one language, not one tribe, but all of mankind. That's all from the Pearl of Great Price today. I hope you've enjoyed listening. Please subscribe and leave a comment on the blog if you have time. And join us tomorrow if you can as we look at the Scottish Battle of Culloden and the end of the Catholic Jacobite resistance which led to the Highland Clearances. If you want to visit the blog or commission a podcast for your own organisation, visit the website for more information at www.pogp.net. And if you'd like to respond directly, then email the show on pogppod at gmail.com. Have a lovely day wherever you are, and thanks for listening.